Welcome to the Capital Link Shipping Master Series podcast. I am Nicholas Bornois, president of Capital Link. Our podcast series focuses on topics of critical importance to the shipping industry and aim to educate a broader audience. As such, our podcasts uh, aim to be informational and educational. We regularly host exclusive interviews with C-level executives and major industry figures and experts on critical topics of interest. Today's podcast will be on the topic of the Iran and Russia sanctions and their impact on shipping. And we have with us uh, an expert, we, uh, so I would like to welcome our featured uh, speaker, Daniel uh, Pilarski, who is a partner at Watson, Farley & Williams. And as I mentioned, Daniel is uh, a well-known expert uh, on the topic. Uh, so we welcome him, and uh, Daniel, let's start the discussion uh, by, by welcoming you, thanking you for being with us, and let's kick off uh, the, uh, the discussion. Great. Thank you so much for having me. So the sanction news have been, I think, the talk of the day in a way. They've been all over the place. Uh, the news have been full of talk regarding, let's start with Iran. Uh, so can you little, uh, give us a bit of a background? What is this all about and what is going on? Um, sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, uh, first, I'd like to say again, thank you so much for having me. Um, and I, uh, I will speak very generally about uh, about kind of what's going on with sanctions uh, on uh, with respect to Iran uh, and Russia. I do want to say, just because I am a lawyer, uh, this isn't legal advice. Uh, every situation is subject to its own uh, facts, and I'd be happy to kind of discuss uh, any specific circumstances that there are. With that uh, legal disclaimer out of the way, we can start. Well, you're right. Let me also underline, you know, our uh, podcasts aim to be educational and informational. We're not giving advice of any kind to anybody. So, of course, having Great. a lawyer on the line, uh, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. good to repeat that. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much. So, uh, I, I did want to give a little bit of background as to uh, the, the Iran sanctions that have been so much in the news lately. Uh, and these are really what are known as secondary sanctions or <clears throat> extraterritorial sanctions. So uh, a bit of background. Uh, the United States has had sanctions on Iran in one form or another dating back to the 1980s for several decades. Um, but these were mostly what is known as primary sanctions. And what that means is that they are sanctions that are designed to stop U.S. persons, i.e. U.S. individuals, citizens, residents, companies, etc., uh, from doing business with Iran, subject to certain exceptions. Uh, and so mostly for a long time, non-U.S. companies that wanted to do business with Iran uh, were generally permitted to do so because the, the sanctions applied only to U.S. persons. Starting in 1996, uh, the U.S. began imposing these secondary sanctions, uh, which were designed to prevent non-U.S. persons from dealing with Iran in some limited circumstances. For a long time, while these sanctions were in effect, uh, they were largely ignored uh, or at least not paid much attention to by much of the international community. Uh, there was a great deal of, uh, kind of deliberate uh, evasion or avoidance of these sanctions, and no one made much of a big deal about it. That began to change really starting in 2010 uh, when new legislation greatly strengthened the, uh, these secondary sanctions. 
Uh, and then especially starting in 2012, you saw a major ramping up in, uh, in the U.S. secondary sanctions, coupled with uh, additional sanctions imposed by the European Union uh, and by the United Nations. Uh, and these sanctions, just to be clear, were aimed at Iran's nuclear program. Uh, and were designed to uh, to either stop Iran's nuclear program or bring Iran to the negotiating table with respect to its nuclear program. And it's important to point out here that at least at this time, the U.S. and the EU were largely in sync. Uh, we both had the same goals, uh, and we both uh, w uh, were intending to to target Iran's nuclear program. And in some respects, that made it easy because basically both U.S. and EU people uh, under both regimes were broadly prohibited from doing business uh, with Iran. Uh, in some respect, at least, this was successful in the sense that it brought Iran to the negotiating table. Uh, after a great deal of negotiations in uh, July of 2015, uh, the U.S., Iran, the EU, and several other countries signed what was known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran Nuclear Deal or the Nuclear Deal. Um, and it went into effect starting, uh, starting in January 2016. So starting in January 2016, as a result of this agreement, uh, most of the EU and UN sanctions were lifted, uh, and most of the uh, U.S. secondary sanctions were lifted. Uh, a few of the uh, U.S. secondary sanctions remained, a few EU sanctions remained, uh, but by and large, uh, we were in a world where we still had the U.S. primary sanctions on Iran, so U.S. persons still remained prohibited from dealing with Iran, but most non-U.S. persons uh, could, could deal with Iran. Uh, and that was the world for the past uh, two and a half years, uh, essentially. Um, it turned out that the effect of that was, I would say, mixed. Uh, I think Iran was hoping that they would have a huge influx of investment. They certainly had some, but part of the problem was that because uh, of the widespread use of the U.S. dollar as currency and the fact that uh, uh, under U.S. primary sanctions, people dealing with Iran couldn't use U.S. dollars, uh, the the impact was limited, um, but whatever it was, it uh, it certainly did um, achieve at least some of its goals, which was to uh, to cause Iran to limit its nuclear supply and to uh, uh, and to permit some non-U.S. investment in Iran. Flash forward to May 8th of 2018, uh, and President Trump, after several years of campaigning very vocally against the nuclear deal, uh, announced that the U.S. intends to withdraw, um, in, uh, arguably in violation of the deal, but uh, it is what it is. Um, and that the withdrawal is, uh, is occurring in two steps, effectively. The first has already passed. The first occurred in, on August 7, 2018, uh, and the remainder uh, will occur in November on November 5, 2018. Uh, and when I say the withdrawal, what that means from a U.S. perspective is effectively all those U.S. secondary sanctions that were waived or lifted back in, in 2016 uh, are now going into effect. Uh, as I said, the first round are already in effect. Those affect largely uh, the automotive uh, and precious metals and currency. Uh, but the truth is by far the, the bigger and the more important chunk is the, uh, the, the group that will go back into effect on November 5th. 
in conjunction, and I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later, in conjunction with the first round, uh, the EU enact, enacted a blocking statute. Um, but I'll, I'll circle back to that in a little bit. So, Daniel, if I understand correctly, uh, what happened uh, you know, after May 8, when President Trump announced the U.S. withdrawal, we don't have any new sanctions. We simply go back and reinstate the older sanctions that have been temporarily lifted. That's exactly right, yes. So we have now this new picture coming on board, this new situation. We, we also have, as I mentioned, the EU blocking statute, and we'll talk about that later. So how does, does it affect shipping? I mean, this is a fairly complicated situation. How does it uh, apply to shipping? Sure. So it, there are two main sets of secondary sanctions that are quite relevant uh, for the international shipping community uh, that, that may wish to deal with Iran. Uh, the first is there is a set of sanctions that specifically targets the, the Iranian shipping industry, uh, specifically Iranian port operators, shipping, and shipbuilding companies, uh, including uh, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran, ship, of Iran shipping lines, IRISL, uh, National Iranian Tanker Company, National Iranian Oil Company. These are major kind of Iranian shipping uh, and tanker companies. These will all be designate, or designated or redesignated, I should say, since prior to 2016 they were designated, as specially designated nationals or SDNs. And what, what that means, SDNs, effectively, you should think of that as kind of prohibited persons. What that means is that anyone who finds themselves on the SDN list, uh, first of all, it's, it's very clear that U.S. persons can't deal with them, um, but also, uh, 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 at least with respect to Iran, non-U.S. persons can't deal with them without violating U.S. sanctions. So effectively what this means is that if you want to comply with uh, with the, the U.S. secondary sanctions, uh, you can't deal with these companies in any specific, uh, in, in any significant capacity, uh, if, even if you are a non-U.S. person. The second important set of sanctions, I'd say, to the shipping industry is, uh, uh, are the, the sanctions that target uh, oil, energy, and petrochemicals, uh, which is obviously the, a very, very important and the, the biggest industry of Iran, effectively. Um, here, it's a little bit more complicated. The, the, the way the situation worked prior to 2016 and the way it will work going forward is uh, we don't want to uh, – the U.S. didn't want to cut off all trading in Iranian crude oil uh, on the fear that that would create a, a devastating impact in U.S. oil markets, um, but they wanted to limit it. And so the way it worked is that the general rule is that there is no trading in Iranian crude oil. Um, but then there are exceptions where certain countries are permitted to engage in some agreed level of limited trading. The amount of that trading and how it will go into effect, that's all, that all remains to be negotiated. So we, we don't have much insight on, on that. Um, but effectively what it will mean is that you can't steal an Iranian crude unless you have a specific uh, uh, ability to do so, but there will be granted those, those special rights. So I mentioned earlier, I mean, I, I've been talking in general about secondary sanctions and, and, and SDNs, but, but I haven't really discussed kind of what it means to violate secondary sanctions and why it is that this is such an issue of concern. Uh, and, and, and I also uh, said before, used before the word significant, a non-U.S. person that, that uh, engages in significant transactions with Iran. 
And, and that significant word is key because all of the secondary sanctions really do incorporate, all or almost all, do incorporate that word significant. Um, but basically what they say is that, uh, for example, in the shipping context, a non-U.S. person that engages in significant transactions with the Iranian shipping industry, including ports uh, or the Iranian energy sector, uh, um, will themselves be designated as a specially designated national. And the truth is, for any major multinational company, this is, this is potentially catastrophic. Um, because if you find yourself in SDN, first of all, there's a, there's a cascading effect where then you will be subject to these secondary sanctions and other people can't do business with you without themselves violating secondary sanctions. Uh, but even putting that aside, uh, uh, no U.S. person and no one else dealing with U.S. dollars or otherwise with, with very significant U.S. ties will be able to deal with you. Um, so this is a, a very, very serious consequence, uh, and it's why there has been uh, there's been so much fear and concern in the shipping community uh, about these sanctions. The other kind of major secondary sanctions are what is known as menu-based sanctions, and these are uh, kind of very specific provisions, for example, denial of U.S. import-export privileges, uh, denial of ability to get certain loans, etc. But the truth is, those are all kind of subsumed in the first one, which is being designated an SDN is, is catastrophic for any major uh, multinational company. Um, and, and as a result, uh, these are very serious sanctions, and uh, people are taking them very seriously. Daniel, let, let me ask you, I mean, this is uh, obviously a very significant topic and a very complicated one. Now, when I hear you, uh, you know, go down the line in terms of the various possibilities and the range, I understand, number one, that you cannot deal with uh, the uh, SDNs, uh, with the uh, specialty, especially designated nationals, that's clear. Yep. Number two, you cannot uh, transport uh, Iranian oil. Uh, or Iranian cargoes. And number three, you cannot uh, go in and out uh, of Iranian ports. Am I right? So, n- n- not necessarily. I think that, that kind of, that, o- that oversells it a little bit. Um, I think the, 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 cr- the question about crude is a specialized question, which the truth is we'll, we'll need to see exactly what they do there. Um, but the truth is for everything else, I mentioned, I mentioned before, and I'll say it again, that the, the sanctions target significant transactions. Uh, I think a very good argument can be made that, for example, let's say a container, a container ship, a container ship making an ordinary course uh, voyage to Iran, bringing containers of non-prohibited materials, just ordinary stuff, that uh, they they pay a port agent that may be an SDN, uh, they pay port fees, maybe they purchase bunkering fuel, they fill out forms, they do the kind of ordinary course transactions that every shipping company needs to do. A very good argument could be made that that's not a significant transaction with the Iranian shipping industry. That's That's all incidental. The significant transaction you're doing is just shipping goods into Iran, and that in and of itself is not prohibited. So a good argument can be made that uh, that that would not be a violation. 
That said, it all hinges on what's the definition of significant. You look at guidance as to what is significant, and while there's some guidance, the truth is it's all facts and circumstances. And given the potentially catastrophic risk of getting this wrong or being found in violation, a lot of companies are taking the, the easy way out and saying, we don't know, we don't know exactly what the line is, but we're not willing to go anywhere close to that, and we're just pulling out of Iran. And you have seen that. The large, uh, certainly MSC and Maersk and several other large uh, container shipping companies have already announced that they are effectively just pulling out of Iran. Um, even though an argument could be made that they could continue to trade with Iran, uh, I think they've decided that it's just not worth the risk, uh, which is understandable. I think for a smaller company, which, is, uh, which has perhaps a little bit more risk tolerance uh, and which may have less U.S. exposure, so they may be more willing to write out uh, the potential consequences, uh, it may still be worth it to, uh, to, to continue to trade with Iran and, and take the position that this is not significant. Um, but the truth is, this, th- there's no question that this is risky. But if you trade with Iran thinking that it's not significant and then you want to trade into the U.S., these things carry over. Yes, ab- absolutely. So this, it's at best risky. Um, you can make the argument that trade with Iran can continue, but, but it does remain risky. There's no question there. And if I can ask you again, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm a ship owner. I have my ship. A charter comes along. They charter my ship. The charter now has command of the ship. How yep. can I protect myself as owner? that the ship will be traded uh, you know, in, in accordance with the sanctions and I will not end up uh, being in trouble. So that, that gets hard, and, and that might be a nice segue into the, uh, the EU blocking statute that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, so generally speaking, the best thing to do would be to put a very strong provision in your charter agreement that says we will not trade with Iran or any other country subject to U.S. secondary sanctions. Uh, you just you just include that language and uh, and then you're good. Uh, the problem becomes if you're a, an EU ship owner, which obviously many are, uh, the EU blocking statute, which is specifically designed to stop EU persons from complying with these uh, with these rules, may catch you on the other end. Um, the the EU, in response to the U.S. action, uh, essentially implemented this blocking statute. Which, which prohibits EU persons, which is defined pretty broadly, from complying with these rules. Uh, so ultimately, what it means is that while there are kind of a few ways to, compl- uh, to apply for relief, uh, EU persons are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Uh, they can either violate U.S. law or violate EU law or try to find some way to, uh, to, thread, that narrow, to thread that needle or... <laughs> Or navigate those that that narrow strait, but um, but uh, but otherwise, it's uh, it's a very tough situation. Not not an easy uh, way to navigate, as you mentioned. You know, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I, I presume, uh, as you mentioned, some companies by saying I'm not going to deal with, uh, trade with Iran at all, they they kind of bypass the topic. But uh, anyway, right. Well, I I'd say that. The, the one thing that you can have some comfort on is there's no obligation to trade with Iran. So, for example, a charterer that just says, 
as a business matter, we choose not to trade with Iran, it would be very hard for them to be found in violation of the EU blocking statute. They just say as a business matter. Uh, it does get harder, definitely, when you're negotiating agreements, when you're a ship owner negotiating a charter, when you're uh, a lender negotiating a loan agreement, et cetera, what sanctions provisions do you put in? Uh, I will say that the, the Germany, at least, has had some form of this blocking statute for, for several years. Uh, and we as a firm and others, uh, uh, we as a firm have a fair amount of experience in dealing with this. I can't get into it now, but there are kind of certain provisions that you can put into agreements to try to uh, to try to try to uh, either comply with both regimes or otherwise minimize the risk. Daniel, thank you very much. I think we we covered uh, we, we covered Iran quite significantly and substantially. Let's move to Russia now. Yep. So, Another big topic. So what's yep. happening there? I mean, it's a different situation with Russia. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll just go very quick, quickly with Russia. Um, most of the main uh, sanctions uh, on Russia that we're living in now, uh, it really started in 2014 in response to Russia's uh, annexation of Crimea, Crimea and interference in eastern Ukraine. Uh, these were sanctions that were targeted at uh, major Russian financial and oil and gas companies. Uh, they were highly specific. Uh, so while they prohibited certain types of transactions with Russia, it was it was very limited. Um, and and generally speaking, it did permit kind of widespread trading, both by U.S. persons and non-U.S. persons, with Russian companies, subject to a few exceptions. What's happening now, and what's a bit more challenging, certainly over the past year, is in response to the U.S. election and Russia's alleged interference in the U.S. 2016 presidential election, we see a, a very strong and somewhat rare bipartisan movement in the U.S. Congress, where both Democrats and Republicans are united in their desire to kind of tighten the screws on Russia and uh, and and increase these Russian sanctions. Uh, last year, in uh, in July of 2017, there was a, uh, a new legislation which would enact additional sanctions, uh, and the Trump administration has been slowly implementing those sanctions. Uh, the Trump administration has been somewhat dragging their feet. Uh, they've been accused of collusion with Russia and other kind of things. But the truth is that. Most U.S. presidents probably would would react somewhat similarly because these are these are very serious uh, measures that are being put into place, and it's uh, and it's part of the job of the U.S. presidency and the U.S. executive to kind of to manage our trade and to to again navigate these waters. Uh, most recently, uh, in April of 2018, uh, President Trump finally. Uh, uh, did respond to the congressional legislation. It designated certain Russian so-called oligarchs and their companies as specially designated nationals. There's that word again, SDNs, basically means prohibited persons. Uh, the most important SDN designated was uh, an alleged oligarch named Oleg Deripaska, who's uh, apparently a friend of uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, and he owns several uh, important Russian companies, uh, including Rusal, which, uh, which is an aluminum company, and uh, Gaz Group, which is automotive. Um, and part of the problem is that, as people realized very quickly, 
putting these companies under sanctions and making them prohibited persons and prohibiting all trading with these companies would have a very serious effect on the world economy. Uh, so what's happened is that there have been we, we we've been putting out exceptions uh, where we delay and delay these sanctions from actually going into effect. Uh, currently, they've been delayed several times. The current they're currently scheduled to go into effect on October 23rd. I have no idea of whether they will actually go into effect. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and then very recently, just uh, this week, August 27th, uh, the latest round of sanctions went into effect. These were in response to Russia's alleged uh, uh, poisoning of Sergei and Yulia Skripal in, in England. Um, and, and these sanctions are effectively, it's a, it's a broad ban on exporting uh, uh, certain U.S. technology to Russia. Uh, there was already this is this is sensitive technology. There was already somewhat of a ban. The ban is, ban is now strengthened. Um, but I, but more importantly, uh, the next round is to potentially treat Russia like a chemical weapons violator. Essentially, we're treating them like we treated the Saddam Hussein regime and requiring weapons inspectors and things like that. And if they don't do that, uh, there will be major escalation of sanctions, or there are scheduled to be major escalation of sanctions, including large cutting off of trade with Russia, which would be very significant to the U.S., the Russian, and the world economy. Um, but, but this is where, where, uh, where we find ourselves, largely because we do have this kind of united Congress that, uh, that has a, uh, a desire to punish Russia. Uh, so I think the lesson for shipping companies is, yeah, for right part. now at, well, for right now at least, most shipping companies can continue to trade with Russia in most contexts most of the time, but there are a lot of pitfalls, and you have to be careful. And, and the screws are tightening, and you're going to have to check uh, every every few months or even few weeks to see where things are. So the things you have to check are who you're dealing with, what cargo you're carrying, what exactly are the things you should be looking at in terms of the uh, sanctions update. That's 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 it exactly. Uh, know know your counterparties very well. Know who they are. Know who's standing behind them. Uh, you may have a uh, kind of uh, a counterparty that doesn't show up on any list, but then it turns out they're owned by some sanctioned person. Um, and uh, and also pay attention to cargo. Um, and here again, it kind of it it depends what kind of in, uh, uh, what kind of ship you're talking about. Um, the truth is, for container ships, I think most container ships just ship their containers and. Uh, they uh, they don't pay a lot of attention to uh, to what is actually in the containers, um, but um, um, but but that might be changing. And certainly uh, for dry bulk and for tankers, uh, pay attention to what it is your uh, what it is you're you're carrying. Uh, and also uh, a key part is how payments are being made, both in what currency and what the payment terms are, um, because there are a lot of sanctions that target how payments are made and processed. Daniel, I know, that, I know that's a tough question, uh, but if I were to compare the two, is there any conclusion or any any uh, any observation we can we can draw from this? I, mean, I would say and Iran. Yeah, I would say Iran is what the law is seems to be pretty well clear uh, at this point. 
Uh, it seems to be, while the new sanctions aren't into effect yet, and there are a few, few things to be filled in, we do have a pretty good sense of what will happen. We also have at least a, a, pre, a decent sense or pretty good sense of the EU blocking statute. So we, for Iran, we have most of the materials that we need to know how to respond, and the question is largely a discussion that needs to be had by shipping companies and their counselors uh, and their compliance departments and everyone else regarding how to comply, how to go forward, how to, um, uh, ha- ha- uh, how to move on this. Um, but the truth is this is a conversation that can and should be happening now because we do know with a pretty good sense how this, how this will play out. Russia, I think there's a lot more that's up in the air. I think Russia, certainly Russia is subject currently to far fewer sanctions than Iran. As I said, most people, both U.S. and non-U.S., can generally deal with Russia in most circumstances most of the time, but, but there are a lot of exceptions to that, and you have to be careful. And in some respect, that makes it harder because it's easy to say, well, we just can't deal with Iran. Uh, whereas with Russia, you can say, well, you, you can deal with Russia. Uh, you just have to be careful in who you're dealing with and how you're dealing with them. Um, and also, I would expect Russia to change a lot in, uh, in the next several months. Um, because this is this is constantly changing uh, due to the political landscape in the U.S., political landscape in Russia, and political landscape in the EU, uh, and I, I guess I'd say in the U.K. now, given that that's that's where the latest uh, kind of alleged poisoning occurred. Thank you, Danny. It's been a very um, it's a complicated uh, topic, uh, quite extensive. Uh, you were great, uh, you know, really making it uh, easier. Uh, I, I think we know now that we need you when before navigating <laughs> these uh, tricky waters. So before we conclude, is there anything you'd like to to add? Um, uh, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk to you and and your listeners. Uh, I will say, uh, as you said, uh, we are generally available and happy to discuss. Uh, we also host. Uh, regular seminars on on sanctions. Uh, our next talk is scheduled for mid-November. Uh, if any of your listeners would like to be placed on the mailing list for this event, uh, please please feel free to contact me. Hopefully, my contact information will be available somewhere. And, um, and uh, thank we, you. We will make it available, but you can also verbalize it. If you don't. Sure. Uh, uh, I'm at uh, Daniel Polarski, D-A-N-I-E-L, P as in Peter, I-L-A-R, SKI. I'm at Watson, Farley, and Williams. My uh, email address is dpilarski at wf, as in Frank, or Farley, w.com. And uh, you can always uh, reach to us, uh, you know, podcasts at capitalink.com, and we'll be happy to give you Daniel's uh, contact details, of course. And um, I'd like to thank you again for, for a great discussion. And uh, I'd like to conclude by saying that uh, we are having our 10th uh, uh, annual Capital Link Mari- New York Maritime Forum in New York on uh, October 9. And one of the topics that we will talk about is sanctions uh, you know, as part of the conference agenda. And then on September 13 at 11 a.m., we will have with us uh, a panel with distinguished experts, and Daniel will be back joining us. We have a number of experts from uh, various law firms, and uh, Clay Maitland is going to moderate that panel, and we will talk uh, more extensively about uh, 
you know, what is happening in the trade scene, uh, the sanctions and so on. So we would welcome you back uh, both in October and uh, in September. And uh, thank you very much. Again. Thank you. Thank you.